0: We all bear responsibility. If somebody took a chance on us, make sure that when you're at that age or position to take a chance on somebody else, do it.
1: Welcome back to Speaker Series Rewind, a podcast by High Alpha, a venture studio that designs and builds B two B SaaS companies. On this show, we revisit discussions from High Office Speaker Series, a monthly event featuring industry leaders, successful entrepreneurs, and investors. For our very first season, we'll be joined by founders and CEOs across the country, running everything from B2B software companies to international airports and indie car racing teams. Today's episode is featuring Beth Peretta, the CEO and team principal at Peretta Autosports. Beth spoke with HAFA partner Christian Anderson about her career, team, and leading diversity initiatives across racing. And it's truly just a masterclass on leadership, work ethic, and how to build a network around you. So, without further ado, let's get into the interview with Beth and Christian.
2: Welcome. Thank you for joining us on our 53rd High Alpha Speaker Series. For those of you who join us on a regular basis, you will note that we tend to highlight luminaries in the kind of tech space, entrepreneurs, investors so on and so forth. But occasionally, we venture outside of our traditional domain and try to bring people to this group that are exhibiting excellence and entrepreneurship in in realms that transcend software and venture capital. And today is one of those days. And I'm thrilled to introduce you to Beth. Beth and I were just joking that we tend to, around the month of May, you know, try to rope some motorsports luminaries into our orbit with some varying degrees of success, and then they all say, "Christian, there's 11 other months out of the year. Why couldn't you call me then?" So, really grateful to Beth, who is in the throes of preparing her team, hopefully for a, for a big win at the 500. But I want to give Beth just a brief introduction. She is the CEO and and founder of Peretta Autosport, which is the first. Women, woman led, woman driver, Mm -hmm. predominantly female operated, right? At least from what I understand. And with a really big focus on diversity initiatives across professional racing, which for those of you who've been close to this sport, I know that's sorely needed and in very short supply. So it's really an an ambitious and needed initiative on part of Beth and her team. So thrilled about that. They're scheduled, as I mentioned, to compete in uh, this month's Indy 500, and uh, their driver behind the steering wheel, Simona Dill-Silvestro, who will maybe pepper Beth with a few more questions about her as we get going. Beth has a long and storied kind of background in the automotive industry and racing industry. I was reviewing my notes this morning, Beth, and noticed that you were the director of SRT, which I have to tell you, my son, who incidentally is named Indy, and I are our, our favorite car of all time is the uh, Hellcat Red Eye. So, when, yeah, anytime we see SRT, we get very excited. So, yep. so Beth, Beth will share maybe a little bit more with us in her own words, but incredibly accomplished and, and in the month of May, incredibly busy. So, Beth, thank you again.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like to echo what we were saying earlier and what everybody says, like, I think when we look ahead, we think like, oh yeah, you know, I could fit in something. And then you get here and you're running around because the thing about Indianapolis Motor Speedway is it's so enormous. And so even just to get from point A to point B, um, let's just say we're counting all, we get all our steps in every day with no our
2: kidding. trusty Hope uh, counters. Call. Yeah. 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 Let's, let's kick off and, and maybe we'll start with maybe a little more open ended. If you would just give us a sketch. I'm always curious, like how people got here. So like starting from the beginning, you know, where are you from and, and how did you, how did you find your way into this, into this sport?
0: It's a fair question. Cause I'm not from a racing family. I'm not from Indiana. I'm from new England. I grew up in Connecticut and I, was always a car person. And there's a, I've told the story before that it really was a way to kind of have a connection to my dad. And at the time, my dad, and my brother, my brother passed away when I was a kid from cancer. And they had this project of restoring an old truck. And I, there was a, a 11 years difference between us. So this, this is like when I'm two, three, four years old. And it was um, something that I was just aware of that this sort of emotion around a, a car and feeling like that, you know, that restor- restoring a car as a project and kind of like a passion project. So that was sort of my, my, my childhood. And I saw that and saw it firsthand. And after my brother passed away, I, a common thing that happens with kids is you sort of try to like fill in those gaps and, and feel like you just want to, you know, make, you know, maybe be either, whether it was to have a close closest to my dad or a closeness to my brother, it was okay. Let me start reading car magazines. So I started reading car magazines when I was five and anyone will tell you, like, I then went like way the other direction, like headlong, like I, you know, watching racing on TV, knew everything about every car on the road from about five years old. So it was, you know, it was, I was in deep. And that is so,
2: that is so cool.
0: And although I didn't start in the automotive business, I eventually found myself there and So it makes perfect sense. But like, you'd think that I would have figured that out myself, like middle school, high school, and just said like, oh, which it's funny because not to like jump ahead, but that's kind of why I think the impetus behind what I'm doing now is realistically, I should have been a mechanical engineer and I should have gone into, Mm -hmm. you know, anything related to like that side of the automotive business, but. It wasn't, I wasn't surrounded by that. Like my, my dad was more of a, like a tinkerer and he liked the historic preservation of a car, but he wasn't like the guy that was rebuilding the engine and he, you know, send that out. And so I never um, knew that that was a career. Yeah. So in fairness, part of what we are, what a lot of companies are trying to do now smartly is to tell kids what careers are and like, what does somebody do all day so that it doesn't seem so abstract.
2: Yeah, that's so cool. You know, I was reading a couple of pieces about you in preparation for this discussion, and your family came up a handful of times. Your mom and dad in particular, for whom you give a lot of credit for being wonderful parents and encouragers, you, you actually t- maybe tell the story of how you ended up naming the team the way you, the way you named the team.
0: Yeah, so we went back and forth about you know what this entity would be, and in talking to Roger, he immediately said, you know, I think you should name it after yourself because the idea of having a person behind it. Because when I I launched Grace Autosport in 2015 to run in 16, and the idea then was that okay, this is meant to be an entity larger than a person, and all of these things. Grace Autosport still exists. I still have that to do all of our educational piece of what we do, the STEM education and reaching out to kids. So that still exists. And so when I was when I was Working with Roger to kind of build this um, alliance that we have now, we talked about a, you know, a few different things. And I said, well, you know what? I'd like to keep the grace work separate because then I can have other teams support it. I can have Andretti support it or or Penske or Ganassi or be in the sports, sports car paddock and have other teams support it because it winds up being like Switzerland. It's just sort of this neutral entity. And I can also then be in IndyCar and be in sports car or other series, maybe bring it to NASCAR, but it just winds up being this nice cause that people can get behind without it being affiliated with a single team. So then it turned into then, well, what are we going to call the team? And, and so it was decided that it'd be my name and I had to think about it for a little bit, but I thought, you know what, I'm, we're all a product of something, whatever that is. And I'm certainly, you know, both my parents have passed away. My mom passed away in 2012. Hmm. Right before we won, we won the NASCAR championship, but she she knew that we were in the chase, mm. and uh, my father passed away in 2016 in the fall of 2016. So he knew that I was trying to get an IndyCar team together, but unfortunately, you know, didn't didn't isn't here today to see what's going on. And I thought it would be like a, a it'd be a nice nod to them and honor my family, and then to really kind of again lift the curtain on that. There's pe- there are people behind this, and there's a person behind this versus it being just a just a name.
2: I think it's, br- I think it's brilliant.
0: It's or just a word. I should say just a word. It's a name. Yeah, it's a yeah. person.
2: Yeah. I mean, it, that means something more and it's just cool to see the plumb line yeah. of your, your family. And, Absolutely. And, and I will say it's
0: it. a little nerve wracking. There's those moments when we did the press conference. And even to this day, when I see, you know, they put, they put our logo up on the pylon when we did our press conference. And so to see that, but now the logo is actually my, you know, or the name of the team is my name that gives me like different butterflies. It's always a, a point of pride, of course, if you own a business, when you start to see, well, even your first time you get business cards and yeah, you course. know all that stuff, everybody has that when they're an entrepreneur, right? And there's all those like moments. It is different when it's your name though, right? Because, and in fairness, I've worked in building brands uh, on automotive, I was at Fiat Chrysler, as you know, the SRT brand, street and racing technology. But prior to that, I was at Aston Martin, not in a marketing role, but you know, you still have pride for the brand you work for. I still think of it as like my alma mater. I think I still have a, a, you know, a love for SRT because of the time I spent there. And you feel like you're a steward of a brand when, whenever you have the, that responsibility, you, you should take care of it. Like it's your own, but then take it a degree further when it's your name on something. It's crazy. Like the first time you see other people wearing shirts with your name on them, or, you know, the first time you see your hard card and it says team owner on it, you know, I've had hard cards for years. Never said that. Yeah. So cool. you know those little moments are kind of those are fun.
2: Yeah, it's fun. It's and I'm glad you're enjoying it that way and not struggling with uh, the imposter complex piece that so many people. Oh no, hear. that exists too. I just don't so you talk
0: got about that. that part. You Zoom. just don't highlight that. Yeah, is. yeah, yeah. No, that's real.
2: So you were the fir- you were the first female director of a performance brand at an automotive company. How- yeah. How did that come about?
0: Well, the funny thing too, and, and most women in, in different roles will usually tell you this, and it's true. I didn't know that until somebody told somebody else told me that, right? right because we're right. just busy doing our job. We don't, we kind of forget the fact that we're ladies or, you know, that that's a thing. So the way long story short, I met Ralph Gilles and he's the guy who's the head of design, global design at Fiat Chrysler. A lot of people you know know him because he's he has been at Fiat Chrysler his, his entire career, or Stellantis, whatever we call it now. And at the time that I met him, so I met him at an industry function, I was working for Aston Martin. He was at the time, the CEO of Dodge.
2: And, and what were you doing? I'm so sorry. What were you doing for Aston Martin?
0: So I was an operations manager, which means that I was running the business of the, the dealership network business, everything between the dealer network and the factory. So okay. I worked for the factory is it's like, it's more than calling it a factory rep because Aston Martin such a small company that there are only 17 people in North America. When I, was there. So you wear so many hats, but we had 34 dealers nationally at the time. And so I had everything East of the Mississippi. So Montreal to Miami, and I would go to the dealers and it was overseeing operations. So allocating them their cars, but because it's such a small company, you kind of oversee a little bit of the marketing, oversee a bit of the service. There were people that kind of did that too, but basically everything that made the, the dealer network run. Okay. Okay. So from there, though, uh, I will say my boss at the time, lovely man, but he wasn't much for traveling. and he was based in California. So in fairness, anything kind of east Coast, any event, any, you know, anything major event, I would attend kind of as his proxy. and, you know, honestly good for me because it helped to, for me to build a network, to be visible. You know, I was, you know, just like the woman from Aston Martin, but that then you're at those business launches or those automotive news. You know, you think of whatever your industry is, everybody's got like an industry magazine or newsletter and you start to kind of just be affiliated. And I will say one benefit, of course, about being a woman, I always say this, that everybody like in a given day meets like 10 people named Dave and you meet one Beth if you're in a male dominated field and so it's a way for you to kind of stick out and people to remember you. Yeah. So yeah, it might get people to notice you, but it's not going to, it doesn't make up for, you know, you still have to be able to do the job.
2: Right. You of know, course. That,
0: you know, you might remember my name, but you're, but if, but if I'm an idiot in the job, you're going to remember that too.
2: Yeah. 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 That's cool. Okay. So you, so, you know, there's a saying, which is your network is your net worth, right? Yes. So your network is growing and you're getting, kind of more FaceTime yep. and, and the jump from Aston Martin, how did that, how did that come about?
0: So I meet Ralph Gilles, we start chatting and, and, and literally just kind of struck up a, a bit of a, just a, a friendly conversation, because here's the thing I also learned is that not everybody in the car business is a car person. And that's certainly very true. Like when you're in a place like Detroit, it's a factory town, so you could work there, but it might not be your passion. It's just like what everybody does. You know, obviously wanna, those I don't of us, hear that.
2: that's, I don't no, know I that know
0: I it hear was, that. It, it crushed my dreams a bit, but in fairness, on the flip side, those of us who are car people all know each other. Okay. All right. And that was also a way to build your network because there was sort of like a, a, you know, it's that typical shorthand that you speak in. If you're a car person, the the fact that you said Hellcat Red Eye, like the fact that, you know, I know what that is. That's a shorthand. We know what that is. We know You know, Mm -hmm. how low volume they are, you know, not in decibels, in quantity, everybody. (laughs) It's kind of the opposite of decibels. But with that said, so I meet Ralph, and at that point, Aston Martin, we were about to uh, launch a new car. And there's a bit of, so he was the head of design and also the CEO of Dodge. And there's a professional courtesy that often happens where people who work for a car company can then also drive cars from other makes. And it's just sort of like a, you know, it's like a, what do you do? Like a competitive analysis, you know, Intel. Right. But it's, it's done mutually, you know, like they, everybody knows that you kind of want to, you know, throw the keys to like the new Camaro and throw the keys to the new Challenger and, and that happens just to, you know, take something around the block. And so I said to, because so on my name tag said like my name and Aston Martin and, and Ralph said, Oh my gosh, Aston Martin. I love Aston Martin. I said, oh, of course you do. You're a designer because let's be honest. They're gorgeous. They're beautiful. Yeah. And I said, have you ever driven one? And he said, no. I said, okay. I said, we're about to launch these two new vehicles. I'm going to be in Detroit area because there's a dealer in Detroit that was one of my accounts. I said, I'm going to be there, you know, in a month or two, when we launch this new car, you'll have to come by and drive it. And so he's like, oh my God, I'd love it. So we just exchanged cards. And of course I knew who he was because, you know, same thing, reading those trade magazines. He's, he's He was already a very well-known, even you know, kind of famous in the car business. So two months later, you know, I followed up and said, Hey, I'm coming to town. We're doing this, these test drives, you know, do you want to, would you like to try the car? And he said, yeah. So he came by a it was a Saturday. So it was like kind of private. And I gave him a tour of the dealership and like a tour of, you know, walk around of kind of all the cars in the line. And we're just having you know, and then we hopped in one of the cars and we drive around and it was just two, pardon the gender comment, two car guys talking, you know, mm-hmm. and it was just. Ralph and Ralph and me. And we were just chatting about racing. Yeah. You know, asked me if I had a fun car to drive. I did. I had a Lotus Elise at the time. he's like, Oh my God, you have a Lotus Elise. I'm like, yeah. So it was like that. Right. And so that was it. And then about two or three months later, he called me out of the blue and he said, we are looking he's like, I know you've got a great job. He's like, but would you ever consider leaving? I was like, and life lesson, if anyone ever asks you, if you'd consider interviewing for a job, you always say yes. If you're not self-employed, right? Because you never know where conversations ah. are going to go. And, you know, you just say, yes. So he said, we are, we're going to be bringing back the Viper, but we want to, we, we've ha- we have this business strategy that we want to take this SRT trim level and create a, make a standalone brand. But honestly, I think we need to hire somebody external from the company to do that because it's, it's to do things differently than we've been doing them before. Yeah. You know, so would you talk about it? And then the rest is history. So I talked to him, and you know he flew me out to Detroit. I interviewed with him. Then coincidentally, like a few weeks later, I was in California, and they he was out in California with like all the cars to test drive, like for a press event. So I kind of snuck in; nobody knew who I was because I was still working for Aston at the time. I drove all the cars, and I remember we were sitting we were at Willow Springs in California, and we were sitting on the pit wall just chatting. And he's like, "Really like to hire you." He's like, "You know, if you're interested," I said, "But." you have to enter because you'd be my direct report and he was a ceo and each brand had a ceo he said you have to interview with the chairman sergio marcioni because because you're a direct report of a ceo yeah i said okay so what he didn't know at the time what rod what ralph Gilles didn't know at the time is that my two business heroes when i was in business school graduate school what my were sergio marcioni and roger penske (laughs) so when he, I remember that moment when he's just like, you know, oh. you're gonna have to interview with Sergio. It was like, okay, you know, like play it cool, all right, okay. And uh, they flew me. Like it was like maybe a month later, I went and interviewed one on one with Sergio. I was in his office for 45 minutes, one on one. I already knew Roger Pensky at this point because Roger Pensky was one of my Aston Martin dealers.
2: No kidding.
0: Yes. So what, that's what how the, our really are.
2: What are the odds that you get to work for your both of my business heroes? Here. Yeah, that's remarkable.
0: Right. That's remarkable. Right? It, so is. When- it is. Like, honestly, and I, if you also look at my, my trajectory, I started after grad school, I walked into a dealership to sell cars, to learn the car business. Cause I didn't know it. I was back in Connecticut and I started doing that in 2003. And by 2011, eight years, I was a director at FCA. So walking in, being a sales salesperson on the floor mm-hmm. of a Honda dealership was there mm-hmm. for two years and then went to an Audi dealership from there, went to corporate Volkswagen group in finance and then but i like in that that career trajectory the speed of that yeah. the arc of that is my 10,000 hours yeah. malcolm gladwell yeah. was from reading the car magazines and reading the trade magazines and being mm-hmm. able to converse with anyone, not just about, like I worked for Volkswagen group, I could sit across from a dealer and talk to him about his Ford business or his Chevy business because that, you know, and being a car person. So I, you know, I always say if, you know, if you're whatever industry, and you can apply this to any industry, I mean automotive is huge. So, you know, we can talk about racing and I get that that's like so minor and might seem abstract or, or, you know, esoteric, but automotive business is huge. And so you can certainly draw parallels to most large businesses the most the best advice i could give is just be an avid reader know mm. what's going on in your business and tangential businesses and just be an avid reader so that when you meet somebody you can say something somewhat informed
2: it's such it's such good advice and i love the part it's about it's very
0: basic but no but not everybody does it
2: well and when you started and again i won't turn this into a fanboy session but like you i started reading car magazines when i could when i learned how to read and i right. And I read and I digested and I read about all of it, not just the sexy stuff. Right, And that stuff lodges in your subconscious and the impact of being able to recall that and apply that to different yeah. disciplines and, and domains is we're not necessarily suggesting that you get a Motor Trend subscription for all your five-year-olds, but making sure that your five-year-old is thinking about and digging into, and you're empowering yeah. them to learn and chase their right. curiosity, I think is, is such an important, such an important thing.
0: Exactly. And so that that's where I say that the irony is I was showing so much of that interest, but it was a different time, you know, different generations. So my parents weren't necessarily recognizing that and then saying, Oh, this is a career path for you. Cause ne- neither of my parents were engineers. So, I definitely went the path eventually of business, Mm. but if I think about the way my brain is, or being that person that was taking things apart, you know, now we've kind of shed a lot of that, those gender, you know, biases of, you know, labels and such. So we're going to, I think, you know, you're going to see again, uh, the next 20 years, you're going to see that the nice result of that, of just people pursuing things that they like that they have an aptitude for, and then, you know, they can, they can hopefully nurture. It's a
2: good, it's a good call out though. You don't flip a switch. It's a, it's a generational process. 20 years is a good timeline, I think, in that you, it is, you have to be okay with the fruits of that materializing many years in the future. And and that's why, you know, the work that was done by your predecessors and the work that you're doing today, it compounds the same way interest compounds. Absolutely. I, don't I don't know if we're 10 years away or 20 years away, but yep. it does feel like there's the, the arc has changed vector, you know, significantly. So when so you go to work, you, you make the jump from aston martin what was your introduction to motorsports racing like when did that the, the
0: job happen? with fca came with it so running the performance division came with it i look like i have this like that's just from a light i look like a big stripe right here that's a light everywhere i right. thought
2: that was on purpose street. i thought that I know, was right? really if rad if i could only okay.
0: be that stylish i've got like a light right here this is my first day in the motorhome so i'm like i literally right before
2: that if we had more motorhome. time i'd ask for a tour because it looks awesome but yeah it's pretty the, slick
0: home. i had to turn a lot of the lights off because it was like i, I looked like i was in a. you know <laughs> It was a little too much, but this, these are a godsend when you're at the track because it's for right now it's pouring rain and it's quiet in here. There's Wi-Fi, you know, the drive. So Simone and I are actually going to share this, this actually splits in half. There's a door there. So she's going to have a whole section. She's on a plane from Switzerland right now. So, but yeah, these wind up being our home away from home, you know, yeah. for all of us. And they're, they're a lifesaver. So I'm sorry. Your question was, Oh, we were the, talking the, about how you the, got into
2: the kind of hard transition of, to
0: racing. So, oftentimes car companies, if they have a factory, we call them you know car manufacturer-driven racing programs, typically those jobs kind of have crossover with the performance divisions of those car companies mm-hmm. for all the reasons that you'd expect, whether it be the engineering side, the business side. So with the job of uh, doing marketing and operations for the SRT brand at Fiat Chrysler came the responsibility of running the motorsport programs. And when I say running them, motorsport is always, although there's a huge engineering function, the budget of it usually comes from marketing because you have to do something with it. And so the engineering costs come out of a marketing budget, but you have to run it like a business and and get value out of it in a few different ways. And so when I started at Fiat Chrysler, that, that job included being also the motorsport director and so that that was at the time overseeing nascar and so we had some sports car programs but then we were also going to be launching because we were bringing the my timing was before the the gen 5 viper so and knowing that it was in in a process of being engineered and designed but a uh, design but like the engineering is being finished but the plan was to bring the Viper back racing. And so it was a full sports car factory backed sports car program with the plan to go to Le Mans. Mm-hmm. And so when I say running it, it's you know running the budgets of that and the suppliers and then the team operations and all of that. So you know, kind of drinking from a fire hose. I started at that, you know, was my first professional role in motorsports. So, and interestingly, full circle, the NASCAR team at the time, because, so this is just as FCA was coming out of bankruptcy. During that process, they had multiple NASCAR teams. They started to kind of just basically not renewing contracts because they really had to just trim budget. And the remaining team that was the NASCAR team when I was there was team Penske. So Mm -hmm. I know him from Aston Martin. I'm now at Fiat Chrysler. And in fact, I used him as a job reference when I was sitting with Sergio Marchionne, because it's like, all right, you're, you're giving me this responsibility. You can call Roger, which, you know, cause they of course know each other. And then, so we had in 2012, we worked with them. And then in 2012, we wound up winning the championship with NASCAR in NASCAR, which was Henske's first cup championship in NASCAR. So for all their wins on the IndyCar side, championships and in Indy 500s, et cetera, he'd never won the championship in NASCAR. So he did in 2012, and then we got out of NASCAR at the end of that year. That's a whole story for another day. I was in the middle of, of that trying to save it, and then it just it imploded. and And then we had the Viper, and then we you know did the Viper a sports car series in in what was American Le Mans Series, and then it switched to IMSA. It kind of uh, evolved but took that car and that team to Le Mans. So if you've seen Ford versus Ferrari, that style of racing, like the 24 hours of Daytona, 24 hours of Le Mans. And then in 2014, won that championship with the mm. Viper. So, mm. and that and that's obviously just by having fantastic partners and be, being able to build a team with a clean sheet of paper and kind of, you know, putting together a dream team with the people we were working with. So I love it. Yeah, so I had that. And then at the end of beginning of 15, decided to leave FCA because there were some other changes that they were going to make. they were actually switching SRT and and dissolving SRT. They decided to to put it back under the Dodge brand, prop up the Dodge brand. And I had an opportunity to go to Maserati and I said no.
2: Oh, okay.
0: And I left. I took my things and I left. And at that point decided to start this push for for equality and just getting more women into racing,
2: and here all we right. are. All right, so great, beautiful transition. All right, so you're welcome. Paretta Motorsports Autosport Autosports, pardon me. Uh, we
0: tried all the permutations. It was trying to figure out
2: what's what's the easiest to say. I love it. Autosports, better female owned, female driver, female operations. Yeah. Female forward. Yep. Uh, this was clearly an intentional step by you, but what was the catalyst, right? So like, what was, was there a light bulb moment or a um, collection of incidences, interactions, ideas? Like at what point did you go, you know what, we're going to do this and and this is going to be our mission. And this is how we're going to design the organization.
0: It wasn't my idea to start with.
2: Okay. The idea
0: Love was it. brought Share to me. Credit. Okay. The idea was brought to me by a gentleman. So one of the things that happened when I was at Fiat Chrysler, because I uh, was in a position to hire a lot of dri- hire drivers during that time, I got to know a lot of dri- drivers and a lot of, of uh, drivers management, right? Cause they all just sidle up to you because they think that you can hire them and give them jobs. So through that process, I got to know this, this one particular gentleman who's based in the UK and he just wanted he and he represents drivers in IndyCar and in Formula One. And he had, was at a Formula One race and happened to be, I think it was Force India at the time, but he oh. happened to see two female engineers on the team in, in the F1 paddock. And he had this light bulb of like, oh my gosh. Cause you know, whenever have you seen two engineers on the same team, it was like seeing two unicorns. And mm. he just had, he had the light bulb of like, oh my gosh, what if you did a whole team of women? Like wouldn't, wouldn't that be amazing? So in, he called me, he called me about something unrelated and he just sort of mentioned that idea. Like, you know, what do you think about this? He's like, wouldn't that be kind of cool for something like the Indy 500? This is in the end, this is like the fall of 2014. And so in fairness, it, you know, now there, there have been some other women's initiatives and stuff in racing, like now 2021, but back in 2014, which is not that long ago, but believe it or not, there, there were fewer programs then. So let's go back in the way back machine, seven years. So he said, you know, what do you think about that? You know, and I said, wow, that, you know, that's really interesting. And I started thinking more and more about it. And I couldn't kind of, I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I thought, you know what, you could really do a lot with this. But again, it took him telling me just with that idea, but I'm now looking at it from my lens of being a woman in the business. So that's when I said, okay, if we're, if you want to do something like this, you've got to do something with it. And you'd have this opportunity to do something with it. Cause in fairness, there are women in racing. We all know each other, but it was that idea of what if we put like a, like a dream team together and you put them all on one team because of what the visual that is, it kind of just then reminds people or lets people in the stands know that they're women like it's, it's amazing. IndyCar and IMS, a lot of the administrative folks. And I don't mean that like as in just like somebody answering the phones. I'm talking like the people that are like running the series, running the speedway. There are women throughout this entire sport that have like make the thing happen. And, you know, it's that idea of like, oh, why don't we just put a spotlight on this? So it wasn't really that it was a revolutionary thing. It was let's tell people what's going on. That was really the idea. Now, with that said, were there enough women to put on a, to have to put together an entire pro level team? No, and I knew that. You know, as soon as you know, I knew that as soon as I ha- we had the idea, and I started to flesh the idea out. So then it became okay. Let's let's say that we're going to do this, kind of like call our shot. Yeah. Then we can get the the interest, gather the women. I always had the the plan to align with a team with experienced men and then we would take those women and basically have like apprentices mentor mentee bring them up to speed because like if i'm grabbing you from the sports car series you're a fantastic engineer over there you just still have to learn this car this set of rules yeah whether you're a guy or a girl yeah of course so okay and let's just make all that happen so i say it like it's like that just but that's what that was the plan and that's what i've been working on for. Seven years. But so the yeah, big so, difference Yeah. The uh, the big difference though is what you were saying earlier about there's been this change. So back seven years ago, where the big changes or where like where the shift finally happened. And I remember this because of course I've been telling this story and pitching this idea for years. And in fairness, Roger Penske was a first mover and supportive from the beginning. It just logistically we didn't work together in 2016 because of a few things, but it wasn't for a lack of want on his part. And then I took some time off just for some personal reasons, actually, because my father was sick and I was t- looking after my father. I was a primary caregiver for my dad. But with that said, back in fourteen fifteen, if I were to talk to a potential sponsor and say, okay, I wanna do this this program and invest in programs for middle school and high school kids, and you can get your message about STEM education in front of them, companies then, even seven years ago, wouldn't do it because they didn't have direct ROI. <laughs> Companies like General Motors or Boeing or whoever they want to recruit from colleges, like You know, they're they're going to spend on the college tour, wow. and and colleges are recruiting from high schools, right? But you have to plant the seed. You can affect a kid's trajectory of what they want to be when they grow up from like ten to twelve years old. Yeah. So, but if you're you know the Raytheon's of the world or whatever, the idea of that was just like too, you know, too slippery. And 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 whoever was in HR or whoever had that budget just was loath to do that because they needed to have, you know, these direct measurables. That has shifted because Mm. the I everybody now realizes it does take a village and investing in youth education will benefit everybody. So even if Ford Motor Company puts together a program, that kid might grow up and work for General Motors. But if General Motors is investing that kid might grow up and work for Ford you know, it all comes out in the wash and that's what shifted.
2: Beth, you are doing so. I'm not even having to ask questions. You literally are are hitting, are hitting on. Thank you for coming theme, to my Ted talk. The themes that I wanted to touch on, you know, uh, I, another, another quote that I, that I pulled from you online, if you'll forgive me was, I don't want to take someone else's seat. I want to create a longer table, which I thought is such a, a lovely, beautiful, true way of thinking about investing in and expanding our, our efforts around diversity and inclusion, how, how are you, I won't, I won't ask you to necessarily unpack that quote, but what are some more visceral ways or particular ways that you're leveraging your platform to create those opportunities to, to make the table bigger?
0: I think one, one thing, the reason I say that is, you know, you always have, you always will get people that are kind of point counterpoint or naysayers and that's fine. Everybody's certainly entitled to their opinion. I, you know, somebody the other day was like, Oh, you know, Simone is just going to be like a, you know, like a, a moving chicane. Like, have you seen her on the track? Like th- there's that, that, that idea that when people have a negative idea about it, well, first of all, a diversity I- issue for the sake of diversity, that's not what the, any of this is. This is about just showing that people are capable Yeah. and giving opportunity because a lot of it is opportunity. And in mm. fairness, the, you know, we, we say that phrase, if you can see it, you can be it. And I always use this example, but I I've, I'm dating myself when I use it. So I need to get an updated example, but I, I use the example of Sally ride. If anybody remembers, she's the first woman to go into space. The first American woman to go into space. I oh. believe there was a Russian woman prior to her, but Sally ride, when I was a little kid was when she was going into space and the, every, it, there was all this news about it. And after that happened, a lot of young women, young girls went to space camp because they saw themselves that it was something that women can do and girls can do. So that's us holding ourselves back. It's not necessarily, or I say us, but like same thing, like other people would say like, Oh, that's not what, you know, girls don't do that. And again, there's less of that now, but remember this is a generation that went through here, generations, centuries that go through hearing that. Now, in fairness, as a white man, you've always seen yourself everywhere. You've known no different. And that's not your fault you've known no different. There's always been a president that looks like you. There's always been an astronaut that looks like you. There's always been the the owner of Amazon billionaire. looks like you. Yep. That's okay though. That's not your fault. You know, that's just, that's just what it is. Mm. So to just kind of have that moment to, to maybe if you're in a position to hire, maybe hire somebody that doesn't look like you. Cause if we just keep doing it and we're doing it out of reflex or what perceived comfort but especially when you're hiring somebody you should hire somebody that has the experience but if you're hiring for an entry-level role you're hiring based on somebody's ambition or yeah. attitude yeah, or ability or energy a work ethic and that comes in all packages so hmm. it's to say say the part out loud maybe look at somebody that doesn't look like you is a hard worker and, and take a chance on that. People took, people took a chance on me. Like I was a risky candidate when I was leaving the dealership to go work at Volkswagen. I remember being in the interview They're like, you know, we're going to take a gamble on you. Like gamble. I had an MBA. Hmm. I am coming out of a dealership. And it was so funny because like, I, you know, I forget what my starting salary was, but like within a year, like it just because, you know, I proved myself wow. and, you know, and yes, I was in an interview with three white men and I'm sitting at the table and, and again, no disparity. It That's you. Everybody's experience and lens is yeah. their own. Yeah, of course. But it's that moment of let me get out of my lens. That's all. And the I reason it. I say the longer table is because.
2: It's not a zero-sum game.
0: It's not. And if people people are fearful that it's that idea of like if I'm climbing up the ladder, I need to step on the, the, the fingers of right. the people below me instead of realizing, no, 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 you need to bring them up. And that's, that is true of anybody, right? I think we all bear responsibility. If somebody took a chance on us, make sure that when you're at that age or position to take a chance on somebody else, do it. And it'll be, you know, probably the most worthwhile thing you've ever done in your career is to look back at the people that you gave a chance to.
2: It's so good. It's true. That's that legacy is worth a lot more than beachfront property in Hawaii at the, at the end of your life. Everybody
0: thinks about their children, like, oh look at my children, my children, my legacy. You know what? You could do more than just your children. Oh, you know it's good. You, could, so true. you could mentor fifty people and Yeah. You
2: know. Yeah, I love that. And yeah, that's very good. It is, you know, I do think people tend to think about legacy along family lines. Mm-hmm. And in reality, the the legacies that are the most durable, that have the biggest impact on culture, that persist over generations usually transcended what you did for your family and who, and who you helped. I, I, I love that you brought that up. Let's talk about, let's transition to Simona real quick because I'd love to hear more about I, I was reading about her and her nicknames, the Iron Maiden. Yeah. Swiss Miss, you know, give us. I'm very intimidated. So, give us maybe a little background on how you two got into relationship, yeah. and and as you noted, there there have been female drivers that have competed at the very very highest level of of all or most of motorsport. How did right. you how did you how did you land on her?
0: How did well? First of all, um, we don't like calling her the Swiss Miss. She doesn't like being called the Swiss Miss. But people, I, I think a journalist coined that. She does like Iron Maiden, though. That's, um, no,
2: that's very funny. If you had asked me which of those two to omit, I probably would have omitted right. I, I, Iron Maiden. So I'm glad you clarified. No, no,
0: she likes it because she knows that it's like a reference to being badass because she yeah. got that name after she had a, a crash during practice at the 500 and she burned her hands and got back in the car mm-hmm. the next day. And, wow. and it okay. thoroughly impressed everybody. And everybody, the, I will say the thing about Simona is the other drivers in, in the paddock fully respect her and Mm -hmm. and that's that's a that's an important point for and they respect her for all the reasons like she's not a she's not a lady driver she's a driver right so no the the thing about the swiss miss is apparently uh they call martina Hingis that the tennis player so she's like that she's like i'm not the swiss miss that's martina already taken all right Right, i'll do
2: do what little i can to 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 please thank you but no like we were
0: here for the open test and one of the journalists like immediately like puts a microphone and like hey you're the swiss miss and you could just see her like oh so, but nobody, but she's never actually addressed it because she's so polite. She won't. Yeah. So she's, she's lovely. So Simona has had five Indy 500 starts. She was the rookie of the year in 2010. I've wanted to work with her for years, but I, the funny. so there's a funny story in that when I was talking to Roger Penske initially, I reached out to him last year after he announced the race for equality and change. And I said, Hey, what, you know, what are you doing with this? What's this program? Because, you know, this is obviously a cause that's near and dear to my heart. And he said, let's talk. Like, we you know, what are you working on? Cause he, you know, was helping me the, the last go around. And so we, we sat down via zoom and chatted. We were going to meet in person, but it was logistics. We were talking via zoom. And uh, he said, he, you know, he said, well, I'd really love to have you in IndyCar. And I said, I'd love to be in IndyCar. And he said, you know, who would you want as your driver? And I said, Simona Di Silvestro. And he's like, oh my gosh, she's amazing. And he said, you know, we were in uh, Australia and V8 supercars and it was a rainy day. And, and we were in the, and, and the race is going on. It's you know pouring rain, and I'm watching the monitor, and I'm thinking, who's that? You know, who's that up front, like uh, two seconds ahead of us? He goes, and it was Simona. Mm-hmm. And so it's those moments when you know Roger, who has been employing and evaluating drivers his entire life, he asked me about some other you know just drivers in general. Like we we're talking about even some male drivers, just talking out loud as we all do, like bench racing about you know people's levels and skills and who's good in what conditions and whatnot. It was great that he immediately embraced the idea of Simona without, without any hesitation I, and Chevrolet is because, you know, but you know, I had to ask, I had to work on my deal with Chevrolet to get the engines and they are fans of her as well. So that was a short conversation. Mm-hmm. But the funny thing is when I was talking to Roger, he's like, okay, he's like, so, you know, do you know her? Can you call her? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And he's like, great. So we hang up the phone and I'm in my office. And I thought, I do not know her. I've never met her. And how am I going to get her phone number? And <laughs> and like and not tip off to somebody of why i need it because it was like super confidential which all these deals usually are early mm. in the early days and so i in a very sneaky way was able to ask somebody to ask somebody to get her phone number and because your network is your net worth and you know two texts later i had simona's phone number and her, or her email i had her email address so i sent her an email I'm like hi you don't know me but what are you doing next year and would you be interested in in coming back to IndyCar? And if so, can we have a, if you know, can we have a talk tomorrow and the next morning we were on the phone and an hour after that call, we were on the phone with Roger.
2: Wow. I love it. It was meant to be. This is an unfair question and I'm not a journalist, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Is, is this the first year we're going to see a female face etched on the board Warner trophy?
0: It, it, from your lips to God's ears, you know. I always said the the whole point of this is to have a, a woman's face to grace the Borg Warner Trophy because you know there's a lot of there's a lot of faces on it, and yeah. I think that that's obviously the ultimate goal.
2: Yeah, that's the exclamation point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd I'd
0: say, you know, within ten years. Yeah.
2: Okay. All you right. You know,
0: maybe within ten. You know, not ten days, but maybe.
2: Well, fingers we crossed. Ten days away?
0: Yeah. Fingers not ten crossed. days away yet. So.
2: This month, sometime in that sometime, sometime about... by the
0: end of the month. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, you know, the thing about ovals is, you know, some, although Simona hasn't been in IndyCar, car, she's been driving full time the whole time she hasn't that we haven't seen her. She's been driving in Europe, driving in Australia. So she has got a lot of seat time. However, ovals are ovals. And the only way you get good at ovals is by driving them. So yeah is it easy to drop in and just do this race? No, but you know, she did well at the open test. We've been d- doing some time in the simulator, but nothing replaces it. Like just laps on the track. And what's good though, is the engineers will say, she's really good to work with. There's a good communication back and forth. So hopefully we're, we'll get up to speed again here tomorrow. And the car is well prepared. You know what I mean? We've got, we've got a good shot of doing a shot.
2: We love it. You know, folks, just a little temporary PSA here. I was sharing with Beth, I'm a relatively new fan of uh, automotive racing and motorsports. But for those of you who know me, like if I'm going to do it, we're going to go all in. So Anderson family has gone all in. And it's one of the things that I think is so special about Indianapolis in particular with with no disrespect to any of the other automotive towns or or racing communities in the country. I think India is exceptional because of its legacy and infrastructure and kind of just history in this area. And I would would tell anyone who hasn't given it a shot, you, you know, you need a personality oftentimes to pull you in to this sport. And I would say pick Simona right? Why not? Absolutely. Right? We've got, we have a, a few friends of high alpha that, that race are in, in the industry and, and we're fans of all of them. But if you're still looking for yes. a team, this is your team yeah. and get out to the track, check out some practice days, try to come to the race. Number like 16, that. number 16. Like that. It's, it's, bur- it's, it's etched into our retinas now. That's good. And in it is it is absolutely worth the price of admission. And, you know, we take it for granted, I think, living in Indy, that we have this monstrous asset that is, you know, the envy of the world in many regards uh, from a motorsports perspective. And if you haven't, if if you haven't done it or if you haven't been since you were a kid. Let's give it another shot, and 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 maybe maybe the sixteen car can be your yeah. your your gateway drug back into the sport.
0: Even coming um, on a practice day, because like the thing about a practice day is you can see a lot more. There aren't crowds, so if you're not a crowd person, it's still really interesting to see what's going on. So you can kind of
2: come in, walk around, and. Beth, Beth, we've got we've got nine minutes, and I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hit, I'm gonna hit a few Q and A few Q&A things here for those yeah. I, I have. My Q&A list, the chat list, and my text has been lighting up. And I've got to say, Beth, some of them are just not, some of them are not questions. They're, they're, hallelujah, Beth, you are so amazing, so versatile. Your message is so relevant today. Thank you, I'm glad you like
0: it. Which I think is
2: is pretty nice. Lots, lots of questions. I'm going to, and apologies, those of you for whom I'm going to have to skip over. Many of them are are along the same thread and it, and it has to do with being, a woman yep. in a male dominated industry. So I I'm only gonna do one of those because there's so many other great questions to ask, but I'm gonna combine two. So one is just what's the hardest part? Like what is the hardest part of getting started? in working your way through a male-dominated industry? And, you know, what advice do you have, particularly to young women who are early in their careers?
0: I think that, and again, I, I've even seen the evolution, uh, you know, across, you know, even from my, my jobs in high school and college, where I, even at those times, I was sort of the only woman in, in a, you know, maybe I just, I think I was attracted to the challenge, frankly, mm. like after I started it and then just kind of kept at it. Because there's something about being, and uh, many women can probably identify with this, there's something about being underestimated and that you could see as a challenge it can also be tiresome because people might not take you seriously or think that you you know you know your stuff and anyone who's who's been in a male dominated area they know that's always the biggest challenge of people talking over them you know that's that sort of thing i would say the the best advice i can give is to have a mentor a male mentor Female mentor, peer to peer mentors, all of them. It's it, and have more than one mentor. Seek them out. Ideally, maybe even your employer has them, or you can look for that, or you know, and and it doesn't necessarily have to be in your industry. It, it's just somebody that, yeah, like, fun. I mentor a woman who is in minor league baseball. We were joined together through Sports Business Journal, and because obviously challenges are similar, so it's the idea of having. I, I'm also part of a Women's Executive Council in 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 Michigan. That's for that I started when I was at, I joined when I was in, at Fiat Chrysler, and that's been invaluable. Those are more like the peer to peer mentors. So somebody that's working at General Motors and Ford, whatever, we're put together. We don't, you know, we don't talk about the details of what we're sure. working on at you know our respective competitor companies, but there's themes that are similar. So I would say, you know, to reach out and find that that network and that. That's really, really
2: interesting that you mentioned. Male mentors as well. Yeah. I don't. I think that's not conventional wisdom. I think most young young women beginning their career think, "Oh, I need to find somebody, or maybe right. exclusively who's a woman." Yeah, yeah. who's the woman? And, and the, it reason so right, the reason I right, the
0: reason I say get a male mentor is because obviously the male mentor is going to be helpful because if he's if he says yes, he's understanding. You know, he's just good at what he does and has wisdom. But sometimes he can shed light on the uh, on the the maybe the type of thinking if you're having a challenge he might have a better perspective about that other man's thinking perspective. You know what I'm saying? Like you're, it's kind of to be able to help you navigate it.
2: Yeah, yeah. Beth, a- another question came in, again, opening up by saying this is an incredible tweet. I have so many, or, or, or treat, I have so many questions. But the, the, the one that's top of mind for Raphael here is how do you go about Prioritizing which opportunities to pursue. So, you're in a high profile gig. There's a spotlight on you. Clearly, you're in kind of a fun, sexy industry. So, there's lots of people that want to get their hooks in you and your team and what you're doing. How do you go about prioritizing where you invest?
0: My time, invest my time. Honestly, I'm lucky enough that this isn't my first rodeo, as it were. So, I probably learned that, you know, on the previous jobs of just knowing, you know, there can be people, and you know this when you're starting a business, right? Or if you're an entrepreneur, or are a business owner, there's a lot of times people who might be wasting your time, you know, people that might be, whether you have, if you're trying to look for investors or you're trying to look, so for me, it's like looking for sponsors and partners. And sometimes because racing is exciting, sometimes there are people that are affiliated with companies or own companies that want to be a sponsor, but you realize that they might not be the decision maker. They might not, it might not actually be a fit, or maybe they just want to do it because they just want to get their Credential around their neck. Mm -hmm. And you could, you can make that, uh, you know, analogy in other businesses, right? Somebody might be wanting to meet with you 10 times about maybe investing in your business. And you really have to try to discern. I'd say that's the biggest thing that's really prioritize is, you know, is, does somebody have your best interests in mind? Is it a good fit? And it's kind of like when you're hiring people, it's the same thing. If you're hiring an you're hiring an investor.
2: I love it. Like discerning people's motivations early on before you stunk you know, half exactly. your life in, in the relationship. Let's see. I got a few good ones here. Okay. So any advice for founders who are starting things from scratch or that no one has done before? And I would say you, you've, you've got some experience in both of those things. And this might be this go This is related to the prioritization question, right? But you know, when it's a brand new set of problems, like what, what's your advice for trailblazers? For people who are doing something for the first time.
0: Sometimes you have to like anything, anyone, anyone who's entrepreneurial, a lot of it is figuring it out as you go, because there isn't a playbook. And so it's relying on that network. You couldn't, you can't do anything alone as much. as I, I always hate, I love the phrase. I love and hate it for this, for the, when people are like I'm self-made. <laughs> First of all, everybody is self-made, right? Everybody is self-made. It, it, you know, like it's not, the, and then and nobody is self-made, right? It's too. It's like we're everybody is self-made. You you either did your homework, or you in school, or you you know went to soccer practice and and did your hard, you know, worked your hardest so that you could you know be a good player on the team. Every that's you. That's you know the, whether somebody's pushing you. We're all self-made, but but then none of us are self-made because you need that network and you need all of that. So with that said. An entrepreneur is usually pretty good at working using leveraging that network to figure workarounds and and figure out, you know, the other way through and so, in, for instance, like little like problems that we had that you, you can't even anticipate the problem so you just have to be able to really just be good at triage to your point of like, how do you prioritize. We had problems because, for instance, they don't make shoes small enough for the ladies that were going over the wall. Like things that you'd never think about, and you're like, "What are we going to do about the shoes?" And you know, like little things like that. Like we've never had to do that before, or all the logos aren't going to fit on the small shirt because we're used to having double XL shirts. And it's like if we make the logo small, like little things that, like you know, we're now going to find an embroiderer. Resourcefulness.
2: Resourcefulness
0: Resourcefulness. and 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 being there's going to be curveballs.
2: There's going to be provide. curveballs. All right, final question. I usually, uh, usually when I speak to somebody like you, I click into recruiting mode, and I'm like, "When are you going to move to Indy?" I won't ask you that question yet. We can talk about that after the no race. Detroit.
0: But, I live in Detroit, and that's right. my adopted city. And okay. I'm as passionate about Detroit as anybody that was born there.
2: Okay. All right. I, I'll I'll I, I won't beat you up on that one. But okay. the the question that was actually asked was. Yeah. What's your favorite? We'll end on this one on a fun. One. What's your favorite thing to do when you're in Indy? Win the Indy 500. Man, I knew that. I, I <laughs> That's perfect. That's a lovely way. Right. It's a lovely way. I don't, to-
0: go to the, I don't go to the Speedway often, but when I do, I like to win.
2: Yes. Yes. I I've like
0: actually it. been lucky enough to win here twice. I have kissed the bricks two times. Mm. Once with NASCAR and once with sports car. So if I yeah. can win with
2: IndyCar... Three Pete. Triple crown. Three Pete. I love it. Yep. Three Pete. Awesome. I
0: could kiss the brick kiss the bricks thrice. Um, that'd
2: be kind of cool. It would be awesome. We're yeah. rooting for you. You, you and your you and your entire team. And so I, I wanna first of all and
0: our plan is to race a couple more races later this year and hopefully full time next. So hopefully this isn't, you know, you'll see us again.
2: I love it. I love it. Yeah, I was trying to explain, I was explaining earlier that the 500 is unique because in so many other sports. You have to play the regular season before you play in the Super Bowl, right? And um, and the five hundred creates an opportunity, an open environment for those who can who can pull it off. Exactly, because um,
0: the the full time grid this year I think it's like twenty four, and so yeah. the five hundred is always thirty three. But we're going to have thirty five cars vying for those thirty three spots.
2: Good, so, but, but
0: again, to go from the twenty four to the thirty five, that's you know eleven extra that are just doing this as a you know this is the only IndyCar Car race that they're doing, or maybe they raced this weekend at the GP, but well you know, best, that's how you get those 11 extra cars
2: best of luck to you i'm so it's been so fun to get to know you learn more about what you're building we're proud of what you're building and you. uh, excited about the prospect of, of being able to support that beginning with getting a few more butts into the seats out there to pull for the 16 car thank you again and Absolutely. Is there any place you would want to point the, the crew if they want to learn more about what you're doing
0: Yeah, two things. Perettaautosport.com, but also we practice starts tomorrow. It's all this week on Peacock, so you can actually watch practice. And then qualifying is this weekend. We still have to qualify. There's a chance that, you know, we we have to be the 33 out of 35. Qualifying is this Saturday and Sunday, and it's on NBC. And then the race is May 30th, also on NBC. Hopefully, I don't know if it's going to still be blacked out in Indy. I was unaware of it being blacked out on Indy because I grew up in Connecticut. It was always on TV. But yeah, watch it on Peacock this week. I believe it's free, the streaming, and then NBC. But otherwise, PerettaAutosport.com.
2: Love it. Thank you again, Beth, and great luck.
0: Thanks so much. I appreciate it, guys.
2: All right, bye-bye now.
0: Bye. Stay up to date with Alpha, our portfolio companies, and the future of Enterprise Cloud. Subscribe to our newsletter to get portfolio updates, new company launch information, and the latest content in your inbox every month. Visit HiAlpha.com slash newsletter to subscribe. That's HiAlpha.com slash newsletter.
1: Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. Speaker Series Rewind is brought to you by Alpha, a venture studio that designs and builds B2B SaaS companies. If you're a fan of the show, leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts wherever you listen. You can also subscribe or find additional content at highalpha.com slash podcast. We'd really appreciate any reviews. and It'll help us reach more awesome people like you. Catch you next time.